Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, I'd like to welcome Anthony to the show. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Bill. Anthony's a member of Alan Family Groups, and he's going to be sharing his journey of recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and tell us how Alan's helped him to cope with someone else's drinking. Uh, so, Anthony, we usually start talking about the family and growing up. So what was, what was it like in your family? For, for, for quite a long time, I thought it was normal. Well, it was kind of normal for our family, but kind of as... The years have progressed and, and uh, I've started to kind of realise there's was, there was quite a bit of dysfunction going on in there for, for all some very good reasons. But like in a nutshell, I was kind of adopted um, as, a, as a baby into my adopted family. My adopted father uh, owned a pub and my adopted mother was herself adopted. She was a, a refugee from Burma during the Second World War and kind of through a circuitous road ended up in England and uh, I had an older brother who for much of my childhood was kind of a terror of my life um it's kind of we, we we clashed considerably very very different personalities my, my father liked to drink I'd say um but uh, something must have happened sort of kind of during my first year or so at primary school because um he, he's kind of stopped drinking then I don't, I don't think he used any kind of 12-step program or whatever but uh, I think it was, must have been a, like a kind of a hazard of being owning a, a pub. I was a very quite young and I remember like lots of homebrew sort of concoctions sort of um, on, on kitchen tables uh, and some kind of blazing rows between my father and, and, and mother. One of the memories which for quite a long time and probably until I actually came into an island on I'd kind of buried completely away into my subconscious was um, kind of standing between my mother and father trying to stop them going at each other I, I have no idea how old I would have been but I just sort of kind of remember telling them to stop more specifically telling my father to stop but it wasn't all completely chaotic. I mean, you know, they're loving parents. Um, we, we had a pretty stable upbringing. There wasn't any kind of um, any uh, splits between my mother and father. They stayed together until my father passed away a few years ago. We stayed in the same house that sort of grew up in. And it was a small kind of rural English village kind of situation. So I grew up pretty much, a, I guess, a, like a country boy, I suppose. And, you know, in, in the scheme of things, uh, you know, it, I considered it to be, you know, a good upbringing in many ways. Um, I kind of did well at school and, and went on to higher education and did okay in the academic areas. Yeah. So did you have a lot of friends at school? Not a lot of friends. I wasn't very sociable, I suppose, I, I, but I had one particular friend who who kind of um I, I met her when I, I was sort of kind of I, I went walk about I kind of quite regularly was kind of like wanting to leave home as, as, as a youngster anyway I I still have this this very close friend um, um she, she lives back in England but we're she's almost like a sister to me really we kind of look out for each other in, in all sorts of ways um and we've known each other for for most of our lives so but, uh, you know, I've, I've never been the kind of the life and soul of the party kind of type of person. And I've I always felt a bit embarrassed about about my parents. Well, I was alternating between embarrassed and kind of scared, I suppose. It was, um, it was a little bit unpredictable what what kind of reactions and things would happen. And I think it affected myself and my brother in 
different ways. You know, he became much more of a rebel uh, and was quite a tear away at school and, and also during his adolescence and, and right through into his adult life, I, I would say. Whereas I probably became much more of a, like a people pleaser, really. I, my my, my uh, uh, strategy for surviving this this uh, kind of uh, uncertainty was was to try to preempt what people would want and, and try to please them so that, that I, I wouldn't get into trouble kind of sort of thing. So what, what sort of examples have you got of that? as a child well there'd, there'd be many times when i'd kind of feel guilty if things would go well for me i'm trying to think of a kind of specific example but i'd very much downplay any um sort of attention that i'd get i'd, I'd always try to be very helpful you know sort of um, like my father kind of like he was quite mechanical and, and technical and uh, i you know i kind of tried to emulate him in, in many ways and do the things that, you know, kind of would obviously please him. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of my, my sort of schooling was, was driven by trying to kind of impress my father. And uh, I, I guess with my mum, you know, she was quite erratic herself. And so, I'd, you know, I tried, I'd, I'd be always sort of making cups of tea and trying to sort of make sure she was okay. And, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd kind of, I remember when I was quite young, I'd, I was learning to sew so that I could keep her company while she was doing her sort of things. And I'd, I'd do, do all sorts of things to try to kind of fit in with, with those around me. I didn't really feel the need to, to do too much to fit in at, at school or with the school friends or, or, or that. I, I, was, I was quite happy being a bit, of a, a bit of a loner in some ways, yeah. I think I always kind of felt a bit like the odd man out in our village uh, for one thing um there was a kind of like i was a mixed sort of heritage so it's sort of like that sort of kind of got a, a fair amount of flack for that from the from the kids um but i don't think i've consciously tried to to do much to sort of kind of impress people to become friends with them as such so just having to be on your own um, I think I was happy with the kind of the, the types of friends that I, I did have. You know, it's just, I've always kind of seemed to have preferred to have really good close friends, just a few of them, rather than a large social circle. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you didn't really get on with your brother. So what was what was that relationship like? He was quite bullying towards me from from my earliest <laughs> recollections. Um, you know, he did kind of obviously being being a few years older, he'd have the upper hand physically. It did sort of it usually ended up just sort of would just be kind of in conflict. He he he's got quite an explosive temper. In some ways, uh, my my way of kind of retaliating was was much more sneaky, or sort of like I would, I would kind of try and set him up or get him into trouble or something, because uh, I couldn't sort of fight back physically, but I'd kind of be a little bit more devious <laughs> and, uh, and that. Um, but it was kind of always an uneasy kind of thing. I mean, the fact that he was, I guess, the the natural child of my my, my adopted parents. Um, may have had some some difference. I think there, there was maybe slightly. I know when it came to our extended family and relatives, I always kind of felt that there was some of some of those, particularly my grandmother and some of my aunts and uncles. They kind of didn't treat me quite the same way as, as part of the family. Uh, you know, this, this was I guess in the nineteen sixties. Mm. Yeah, I, I was a bit like you too. I was a bit passive aggressive. You know, I'd be amenable on the surface but I'd be certainly getting back at people <laughs> behind their back uh, yes so you mentioned your dad stopped drinking when you're in primary school so ha- what sort of impact did that have on the family uh, I mean I guess I was still quite young I'd been about four or five it wasn't like there was a big announcement or, or whatever but and I, and I don't think he, he he didn't completely abstain, but it, but it, it meant I think there weren't so many kind of like raging incidents and and very, I, th- I think at, at some something must have clicked in him that that you know his behaviour was was really affecting us as children and and, and my mum. So I guess you know f- 
probably from from primary school onwards um there were, weren't really very in, many incidences of drunken behavior yeah so if he didn't go into a 12-step program was he a bit of a dry drunk um i think possibly yeah um he certainly had quite a temper on him i don't know how much of that would have been because he wasn't drinking or whether it was just in in him it's it's really hard to say bill you know really probably only he would be able to say you know yeah. kind of how much of a problem he had and why he stopped drinking but i i kind of just know that it was a factor in in early times and i and i think it might have had more of an effect on my mum actually might have explained some of her kind of seemingly erratic behaviors yeah did you ever talk to your mum about his drinking not really no it was never really discussed in any any depth i think um was well, as i say it wasn't a big announcement or whatever but the, the, yeah. <laughs> you know all the homebrew disappeared and the the normal bottles that were sort of around and um I mean, there were there were still outings to the local pubs and things, but it it was more of kind of a family outing, not 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 just sort of kind of waiting for them to come come back from, from there, which was another kind of image which I'd buried away. It was kind of the, like I, I I I still now remember the name of pretty much all of the pubs in our local area, and I kind of picture the car parks and the outside seating facilities because myself and my brother would be quite often sat out on the bench outside with a with a bag of chips and a bottle of soda and um, waiting for, for the grown-ups to, to come staggering out. <laughs> um, yes, um, there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of kids who spend a lot of time doing those things. I remember with being in the car outside a pub when my father was uh, drinking at one point and we were sort of playing in the car and I remember... <laughs> You know, pumping the accelerator. So effectively, we flooded the carburetor so the car wouldn't start. And my fa- father was pretty cross with that when he came out. <laughs> oh dear. So you mentioned your mum was sort of difficult. So what? How did that affect you? Her her behaviour. Um, I think that probably affected me me more. I mean, she she really never seem to hug or show very much sort of physical affection to, to myself or, or my brother. I was only thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, you know, she wasn't really a very sort of touchy-feely, huggy kind of mother. Um, and then, in fact, you know, she, she'd, she'd be quite, um, like, like she would mutter a lot and, and be kind of sort of, uh, having these sort of conversations, running conversations with herself about this, that, and the other, and, and I think as a small child, I couldn't distinguish whether she was talking to me about me or you know, sort of like with me. It was kind of very confusing because you know a lot of the things that she was kind of talking about. Uh, I can remember you know she'd be doing the ironing or something, and I'd be sitting in the high chair and she'd be muttering away, and I, I was kind of like always felt like I was in trouble for something, but. There'd be very little I could be in trouble for at that age, I would have thought. But, you know, that was the kind of feeling. So, uh, and she was, she was always a bit eccentric, which which is delightful. You know, I don't I have no problem at all with people kind of like going their own way and, and doing whatever they like, regardless of what public opinion is. But um, it was a little bit embarrassing and confusing. I mean, she, she used to do skateboarding um, and, uh, you know, she, she would uh, ride trick bikes and and do do things which could be quite embarrassing for a, a particularly when we were sort of adolescents or whatever and mum sort of comes up on a skateboard um, so was she any good no not really but she yeah. tried I mean she, she didn't hurt herself badly and she had uh, I think you know a lot of my friends actually kind of thought she was pretty cool in that way but you know I thought it was not very motherly behavior <laughs> And she still continues to be kind of like quite eccentric in, in, in a lot of ways, which, which as she's got older has become quite a problem in, in some ways because, um, oh, well, when they're trying to assess her mental capacity and things, it, it uh, you know, some of the things that she comes out and says are, are typical for her, uh, yeah. but they could sound a little bit crazy, like to someone who wasn't quite as knowledgeable of her mannerisms. 
<laughs> uh, it sounds pretty funny, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we might take a short break there. Are you looking after someone aged, a person with a disability, or someone with a mental illness or medical condition? As a carer, you can access free support online, over the phone, or in person. Carer Gateway is an Australian government initiative providing counselling, advice, respite, and much more. Find out how Carer Gateway can help you. Call 1800 422 737, Monday to Friday, or visit carergateway.gov.au. Carer Gateway, connecting carers to support services. A 3CR supporter. Lost in science. Tune in to 3CR every week to hear Beth, Chris, and Stuart discuss news and issues from the universe that is science. Get informed and learn a bit more about the world around you. Lost in Science can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning and is repeated the following Tuesday at 6 a.m. Word to the nerd. You can also download a podcast. Go to the website at www.3cr.org.au and get lost in science. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. I'm talking with Anthony, and we're talking about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan and family groups. So, Anthony, before the break, we were talking about being an adolescent, and you mentioned that you had a good friend and you, you were talking about going walkabout. So why did you want to get out of the home? I, I don't know for sure. It just seemed to be like a bit of an urge. I'd made several kind of attempts to, to leave when I was quite young, you know, sort of pack my sandwiches and some spare shoes or something and go off down, down the road and then be picked up by neighbours and brought home. Right? <laughs> I don't know, I guess part of me thought that there, there, there was perhaps a better life there. I was kind of, kind of, I guess, a bit of a, I don't know, like I had romantic ideas, I guess, of, of you know, the way things should be. I, I was a, a voracious reader, so I'd, I'd kind of read all the children's books and things and remember things like uh, some of the Enid Blyton sort of stories where everyone's having jolly good fun and, and uh, you know, Doing crazy things, yeah. Lemonade and ginger biscuits for tea and stuff. You know, I kind of think I, I was I was sort of part of me was thinking that was what a childhood should be or what, you know, life was, was about. So I, I kind of, I don't know. I guess I, it wasn't until I was sort of kind of uh, 18, uh, pretty much as soon as I was able to legally kind of fend for myself, I left. I think, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to make my own way. It wasn't like I was kind of... Uh, thinking oh this is terrible I've got to run away from it I just think I just had this really strong urge to kind of just be independent of pretty much anyone I suppose yeah so you know I, I left home fairly sort of early in the game and and then sort of uh, continued since then <laughs> yeah yeah so you mentioned you, you met this friend when you're on one of your trips mm -hmm. so how did you meet them what was the circumstance uh, well, she was in the, the, her front yard and, and I was kind of like walking past and, and, and she'd got a, a tortoise, her pet tortoise, and I'd never seen one before. So we've got sort of chatting and then we ended up just, you know, like kids, you know, just click straight away. And, and I remember her putting up quite a fuss when it was time for me to eventually go home. Um, I think her, her mum sort of managed to figure out where I lived and, and, and got in touch with my parents and... I was I was kind of collected, and that, but but it sort of kind of we'd we'd been fast friends ever since, yeah. since then. and we we sort of kind of ended up going to the same schools and um, going in completely different directions once we were older, but we're still we're still close friends. Yeah, right. So leaving home then was that a big change for you? 
it was a bit traumatic, actually. I kind of uh, pretty soon after I had a fairly serious nervous breakdown and I'd kind of got involved in like the music scene and, and, and all kinds of mind altering drugs and alternative lifestyles. I was, I was sort of kind of quite a while I was I was pretty out of control. And yeah, obviously that wasn't the kind of the the, the plan, but it was just sort of I think that the, that trajectory sort of kind of led to to that. And I'm I'm kind of grateful it it didn't really leave any kind of lasting scars or addictions or or things. It was kind of um, um, I think I got away with it lightly compared to, to other people who might have been in the same situation. Mm. I, I, it was a fairly major sort of nervous breakdown. And a part of me thinks, oh, well, I got that out of the way kind of early and, and kind of in, in some ways it was quite a maturing learning experience. I think getting over the, the that, that, that kind of experience was contributed a lot to, I guess, uh, you know, how, how, I, how I went on from there. It was, it was... Yeah. So how long did it take you to recover from that? Probably it was probably about three or four years before things started really getting back onto track, and I was kind of feeling happier about about myself. So I guess from about eighteen until till twenty two, something like that. Twenty. So did you move back home? Did was somebody looking after you? At one point, I did move back home for for a while, but then I was kind of. Uh, fortunate enough to have have some sort of friends with some share houses and things where, where I was sort of kind of staying there. So were you working at the time or were you kind of just convalescing? I was kind of mostly convalescing really and I, um, I was sort of it I, I was also sort of starting to to do part-time studies and 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 kind of get better qualified for something. You know, it was just a kind of a gradual sort of process. There was a one a, a period where I was very, very withdrawn and 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 kind of quite almost reclusive, um, and 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 uh, you know quite suicidal as well. And there was a couple of times when I did attempt suicide, but I didn't didn't obviously follow through with it. I'm still here. As you're here today. That's right. Yes. That's good. Good news. I mean, you know, really, I guess it, it, I, I did eventually sort of kind of get enrolled in a in a technical training college and and was able to start studying computers and that really kind of clicked with me and and uh, I, I sort of really took to working I mean computers were still quite a new or you know quite there weren't many around at the time uh, through that I managed to to sort of get a certificate qualification and then go on to get a diploma and then go on into the kind of higher education area and ended up doing um, a higher diploma in in Bristol and then that kind of opened lots of doors for me one of which was was going traveling working overseas as a as a volunteer kind of computer teacher for a volunteer organization in in Kenya well through a long and tortuous sort of scene I, I, I got married to my first wife when I was in Kenya and we moved around quite a few other countries and things and and eventually ended up in Australia probably about 20 years ago was traveling something you enjoyed? I would say you often you know, wanted to get leave home, but <laughs> did traveling fulfill something for you? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I, I do like traveling. I, I, I actually like the idea of traveling and living in a in an overseas country rather than just going there on, on holiday. I've not been a big holiday maker, but I, I, I like traveling for kind of a, a purpose or or to go and live somewhere different so I've been very fortunate and, and, and kind of lived in quite a few exotic-ish locations or interesting places. So you said you came to Australia about 20 years ago so it's quite English so it, it's pretty easy to fit in I guess. Yeah, yeah. So did you find that a, a good change for you? Um, not really I, I wasn't really didn't have sort of Australia really as, as, as a a massive destination but my my former wife really was kind of quite keen on giving Australia a go and and just the the work situation kind of made that an interesting destination so um we ended up in Brisbane I was kind of working in Brisbane for for a while but um I'd say my first wife was kind of very erratic herself as well and she she 
wasn't uh, an alcoholic or or anything, but but she kind of had some very and the isms. Yeah, isms. I would say is a good way. Like she, she. I, I know she had a very sort of fractured childhood, and and I completely understand why she, why she would have struggled with some of the things that we struggled with. But um, I guess the you know the, the I guess the long and short of it was was that I guess we both sort of like we seem to favour doing like kind of geographicals for one form or another. Going you know if things were getting a bit difficult, the solution would be to up sticks and move somewhere else and try it there and we were I guess until we had children we were were, this was kind of quite a viable option really. So how did that change with kids? Uh, Well I I didn't want to keep moving around I wanted to to settle down and and I wanted them to have a a stable kind of environment to, to go up in. I suspect that my ex wife had quite serious postnatal depression with the, with the birth of our second son. And uh, I think we ended up separating um, in a fairly messy way. So do you still see your kids? Yes, yeah. Well, I have kind of um, pretty much full custody of, of, of the two boys now. They're, they're sort of 14 and 17. But we were pretty much always had good contact access whatever I think in in some ways since we separated we've got on a lot better in ways I mean it's still it's not it's by no means sort of kind of uh, as cooperative as I would like but um, at least there's not conflict there and and you know I, I, I really see that she's a very loving mother and doing the best that she can with what she's got but you know in in, in many ways that she she wasn't anyway responsible for me sort of seeking out help from Al-Anon <laughs> that sort of came later I think <laughs> you know sort of fairly soon after we kind of separated I was introduced to a, a friend of a mutual friend and uh, she became my my sort of qualifying alcoholic partner. So given I guess your experience with your with your dad and your mum's reaction to to him his drinking so what what was it like knowing a little bit about alcoholics from your childhood and starting to have a relationship with one? I guess it kind of sort of felt familiar. I don't know, sort of, yeah, I thought, oh, this, this, I know where I am here <laughs> with, with this. Um, and, and also, I mean, you know, the, sort of my alcoholic partner was, was kind of very charming, very exciting. It was um, I kind of sort of like, I remember a voice in my head saying, just remember, you know, obviously drinks far, a, a lot, you know, there's a good chance she might actually be an alcoholic and you know what, that, you know what that's like. And I kind of sort of ignored that voice of warning and it kind of still haunts me to some days. Um, but, you know, pretty soon after we became seriously kind of in, in a relationship, the drinking kind of continued and, and if anything got worse, so what sort of impact did it have on, on you living with somebody with an alcohol problem? It was very tiring. I mean, there, there, there was a lot of my attention seemed to end up getting spent addressing or, or, or dealing with, with consequences of, of, of the drinking behaviour um, it was it was worrying um you know there's there's a lot of uncertainty you know when when someone sort of disappears for a day or so at a time and you have no idea where they are um if you feel for that person you know you kind of you do you do you do get it's 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 quite a emotional anxious kind of time there was kind of like frustration you know i i, I would find myself getting kind of uncharacteristically angry about things I think uh, my own behavior was starting to even though I wasn't drinking it was kind of getting to be quite erratic I was sort of kind of following in a parallel stream to the the amount of dysfunction that I was living with that's pretty common people don't realize that but when you're trying to control an uncontrollable alcoholic your life tends to spin out of control (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it, I've, what I kind of found was was that my life seemed to sort of like zoom down to just a very small focus. It was it became to the point when it was I, I was scared to 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 make any commitments for social sort of engagements, so, you know, going out to, to to meet with friends or to to uh, you know go on a holiday or or stuff. Because after a while, it, it just there was there was many letdowns. It almost seemed the more we'd plan something, the, the more likely it was to go wrong. And, and yeah, I think, you know, when you live your life sort of kind of preempting things. And um, I remember, you know, that it got to the point when, you know, I'd be coming home and being quite apprehensive about going back to my own house because I, I wouldn't know quite what I was going to find or what kind of situation would, would kick off. Um, yeah. So what was the impact on your uh, children? Kind of hard to say, really. I think that they were they were quite young at the time. There was already quite a bit of disruption with with the family kind of breakup from the first marriage. I did the best I could to kind of shield them from too much sort of direct exposure to any of that nastiness. So I think it was more sort of collateral kind of consequences. Um, you know, things not happening for them, or or I, I know some of some of their school friends were a little bit wary about whether or not they should could have sleepovers or sort of uh, like some of the normal kind of things are, were, were a bit more complicated. They, you know, seem to be pretty normal teenagers. If, if there's such a thing, <laughs> they, they, this is, you know, seem to be kind of just as moody as any other teenager and has got as much attitude. I, I think we've, we've, in some ways, we've, we've been quite fortunate that they, they, they don't seem to have been massively affected. I think it's always kind of more affected, and possibly my behaviour has affected them in some way. But nothing sort of at the moment that's sort of really like it's not like they're really psychologically damaged or anything, as far as I can see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we might take a sh- another short break there. Australia's first LGBTIQ plus purpose-built centre opens early 2021 and we need your support. Be a giver this Christmas and send your loved ones a gift of pride. The Victorian Pride Centre has launched unique gift cards to fundraise fitting out the centre and they're the queer holiday cards of dreams. These affordable gifts and fun stocking fillers support the LGBTIQ plus community. Gifts of pride can be purchased with a few clicks. Head to pridecentre.org.au to start shopping and subscribe. The Victorian Pride Centre is a 3CR supporter. on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today I'm talking with Anthony and we're talking about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. So Anthony, uh, we're talking about you having a relationship with an alcoholic, a close relationship with an alcoholic. And usually when you do that, as you say, your life becomes a bit of a whirlpool as you get sort of swept into the alcoholic's crazy activities that that sort of come about in living with uh, somebody who's drinking and whose drinking is causing them problems and causing you problems. I remember when my dad was drinking and I came to Al-Anon, I realised that his drinking wasn't a problem to him, but it wasn't the, the effects of his drinking was a problem to me. It affected my life. He seemed to get on okay. So was that 
similar for you for you and um, your partner? Were were they less affected by, by their drinking than you were? I think so. Yeah. Although obviously there's the physical kind of effects and and the, the just the dangerous situations and but uh, she seems to be able to kind of bounce back a lot faster, which which can be a bit frustrating as well because um, you know in between drinking bouts. It's like there's not a problem, you know, sort of don't know what the issue is, you know, sort of, <laughs> which can be really frustrating. It's like you kind of like you feel like you've been dragged through all kinds of really nasty situations. And then um, they, they pop up and say, I don't know what you're worried about. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it's under control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it came to the point when, you know, when after we'd been sort of like through several kind of uh, police visits, ambulances, emergency rooms you know quite quite sort of obvious sort of that that it needed to be addressed um we we embarked on going through the rehab kind of route which was a bit of a revolving door experience um you know we sort of kind of ended up going to you know she 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 went to several of the kind of rehabs and detoxes in the in the melbourne area did she want to stop drinking or she just wanted to yeah, she. Uh, well, I think I think most. Well, I don't know. But she, I, I sincerely believe that she wants to stop drinking. Like she doesn't like it. It's just that she can't. She doesn't. She's not able to. You know, it's it's. I believe it's a disease. It's it's you know, there's something which which she is not able to, on her own really kind of just it's not just a case of changing your mind and saying okay i'm going to stop drinking or whether it's it's an addiction um, um uh, but uh, you know i think the thing is it, it the the will the willingness comes and goes i think my experience is that you know and as i think as a result that the the rehabs were of mixed benefit really that they mostly sort of gave me and the and the family some respite from not having to worry about where 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 she was and what she was doing and whether whether she's going to be bothering us, you know, um, you know, it's sort of you kind of know that your life has gone a bit sort of strange when it's a you know you're quite happy that your your partner's in a hospital or is 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 in a is in a is in a, a lockup cell, you know. I don't know. I think you know only probably only people who've lived that that life would kind of understand that, that sort of thing. But it's almost like sort of you can breathe a sigh of relief for a few days or a week or so because you know that they're going to be safe. You know that they're looked after and it's not your responsibility to, to keep them safe, which is kind of, kind, kind of what, is what was my experience. So in some ways, the rehab was a very expensive kind of break for me. Yeah. <laughs> At what point did you start to look for help for yourself? I think it was uh, one one of the rehabs was quite closely associated with AA and twelve step programs, and they they had a family kind of evenings and sort of some some sort of sessions where 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 families could could come and get some support from from that. Um, and uh, uh, Alanon was mentioned there, and um, it took me a while. To actually pluck up the courage to to find a, a local meeting, but uh, I eventually did it, and um, it was it was it was again it was a, a, a sort of a bit of a respite for me for for a while. Um, you know, I'd find I'd go along to an Al-Anon meeting, and and it might be that you know just an hour and a half in the week where I could be feel safe and not feel like there was a lot of uncertainty or something was bad was going to happen. Yeah, for for quite a while, it was just a sort of a, a, a place of safety where where I could hear some people who had I, I didn't need to over explain myself or say too much about you know what the situation was. Very very understanding and accepting. I think one of the frustrating things with being the partner of an alcoholic or or someone who's living in with 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 the problem of alcoholism. Um, there isn't a lot of support for, for, for families in the formal way. You know, if you go to your GP and say, oh, I've got a drinking problem, there's there's quite a lot of options. There's, there's psychologists, there's rehabs, you know, support groups. There's obviously a lot of 12-step kind of 
programs going on. Um, there's a lot of acknowledgement of the, you know, addiction, you know, even the, the, um, the health department, whatever, you know, they'll have special uh, services, particularly for alcohol, drug and alcohol ish- issues. Very, very little for, for the families of, of those. It's, um, you know, there, there might be a helpline or two there, but it's not, not really as visible so, so in, in many ways, Al-Anon was kind of like a, a, a rare find for me. Um, and I was very, very fortunate that the part of Melbourne where, where I'm living is, is, is particularly well populated with, with active Al-Anon groups. So pretty much every day of the week there, there, there will be a, a meeting somewhere that you can attend. Yeah. So what, what did you find about the meetings that helped you? I think it, it was... It was understanding, like no no one was kind of telling me what where I was going wrong or what I should be doing or or uh, making me feel bad for not doing what you know uh, things uh, there's a lot of understanding which really really kind of helped me to sort of um, not uh, it, it helped me to calm down and and maybe start listening and 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 having some belief that there's there are there was something that I could do to improve the situation for myself because uh, really I guess I had been terribly focused for, for, for on on trying to fix the alcoholic trying to, to get them to stop drinking get her to stop drinking and getting more and more frustrated with that and I think Right from the start, it was made very clear that Al-Anon was 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 a program for for me, some some for, for to help me improve my quality of life, which uh, I I didn't think I really uh, I needed to do that. I thought my quality of life would improve as long as the the person stopped drinking. You know, I thought things would be fine if if we just removed the alcoholism. I think as as I was progressed and continued to attend meetings kind of realize that it is okay for me to to do self-care you know I, I, I don't need to to focus on on trying to fix someone else up for you know that, that's not going to lead to a, any any kind of outcome that's good for me you know whereas if I can focus on my own sort of uh, uh, well-being that, that's probably all I can do really yeah yeah, I, I think it's about the choices, realising that you do have choices and that you can make choices to improve the quality of your life and you don't have to worry about the alcoholic anymore, that the alcoholic has to look after themselves because otherwise you just get dragged into their mess all the time. And once you can sort of let them, you know, once you can detach from them and let them, you know, attempt to address their their life's problems yeah uh you know the, the longer you prop them up the less likely they are to seek help themselves yeah i think my, my experience of, of the li- living with an alcoholic is, is it's end up feeling very isolated i'm a, a bit of a loner anyway as I, as I said um but i think even more so in the context of alcoholism you know it's it's for, for me, it felt quite embarrassing um, and something that I wouldn't want other people to kind of know about. And also, I, th- I certainly found in, in Al-Anon sort of kind of useful suggestions that t- took me away from feeling this, this uh, like, like I, I wasn't able to do anything about any aspect of life, you know, just being swept along, like everything I was trying seemed to be going, n- never seemed to work out. And... I think it was just because I was trying to do the wrong things. I was trying to trying to fix, you know, someone else's problem for them. It's like you know, someone else has got a headache, and then you take the aspirin, you know, <laughs> expecting them to, to get relief from it. It's so. Did did your partner stop drinking? She stopped for for probably three or four years, and uh, it was all kind of. Smooth. Uh, that coincided with the fact that she got a, a a very severe interlock penalty, which which was like a four year period of having an interlock, which cost a fortune. By the way, but I think it was three weeks after the interlock was removed, she she kind of hit the bottle again, and we went into a a much deeper cycle and more more extreme sort of period of kind of binge drinking and and, and in general 
kind of chaos. And I kind of, I, I upped the number of meetings. I, I really started taking the Al-Anon program seriously then because um, I think I'd fallen into the sort of thing that, well, when the drinking stopped, I, I didn't need to go to Al-Anon again. But um, kind of realised that it's it's, okay, it is, a program for people who've been affected by alcoholism but it, it's also for me it's been a kind of a program to to learn a bit more about how to live a skillful life how to deal with kind of uncertainty and other people problems all sorts of you know getting a lot of things in perspective you know sort of really focusing on what you can hope to change and feeling okay not worrying about things that that aren't going to, yeah. you know, aren't your business. <laughs> yeah. um, where, where I think uh, alcoholics can be very good at making you worry about, about their, their welfare and, and, and need. Um, and uh, I think having something like Al-Anon gives a, there's a, there's a separate, more sane viewpoint of the whole situation. You know, if in my, my uh, before I came to Al-Anon, I was sort of, quite often asking the alcoholic what was the right thing to do you know yeah. how to how how should we fix this drinking you know I'd try and get engaged with with, with 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 that which which sounds crazy but that's kind of what i was doing and it yeah. seemed like because she was the closest person the closest adult company that i had was the was the one that was affected with, with drinking but you know the, my confidant my supporter my life partner and normally in a relationship, you'd expect, you know, they'd, they'd be the first person to turn to when you've got tricky problems. So having Al-Anon sort of allowed me to have a, a different outlet to to get some kind of moral support and some some feeling of, of um, encouragement and, and, and kind of uh, some maybe some suggested strategies to help, you know, help me not get so sucked into the into the craziness. And some very practical things as well. I, I remember some members, you know, uh, uh, opened up their houses for, for for myself and the boys to go and and stay if things were getting too crazy in the in 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 the house. Um, there'd be, um, you know, obviously like someone at the end of a phone. If it, you know, pretty much at any time of the day, I could kind of call someone. They, they might not be too happy being woken up at twelve thirty or something in the night, but they'd certainly understand. You know, just sort of like benefiting from the experiences of other people. I think one of the things when when you're in these crazy alcoholic situations, you kind of you you do feel that you've been singled out, that there's something wrong. Uh, it, it's, I'm not saying it's it's functional, but it, it's very very common. It seems to be. You know, there's, there's there's a kind of lot of people. If you start scratching a little bit on the surface, you know, you kind of find uh, there's a lot of people who have been affected in one way or another, and. and I came to learn that my behavior was kind of perfectly normal for someone in this situation, trying to do it without any help. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and that kind of made me th- give, gave me a bit of a relief. I thought, phew, you know, I, I'm not crazy. I'm just in a crazy situation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, that those kind of messages and which, which is, it, it's, you know, you, it, it is true and, and it's very very comforting as well and it gives you you know sometimes just the idea that there are people on your side who kind of understand what you're going through is a tremendous amount of help you know uh you know you can learn from other people's stories as to you know kind of like maybe what they've done differently um you know how they've kind of um, been able to sort of avoid getting you know getting too mixed up in the in, in the dramas many times I think if you talk to someone who, who doesn't have the kind of knowledge of addiction alcoholism and, and particularly living with, with 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 it you'll get some very contradictory kind of advice you know some people say oh take a video of her drinking and then show it to her and then she'll be so ashamed she'll she'll stop or you know pour away all the drink or or you know sort of lock her up for a few days until take away the cards like there's lots of of kind of strategies which all involve around actually trying to stop someone from drinking and i think you know alanon sort of says that isn't your job (laughs) you know you you kind of um, it's 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 up to the person who's doing the drinking to stop the drinking um we've got to stop kind of trying to stop them yeah 
and stop supporting them drinking as well. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, I did find that there was kind of situations where, where you know, just out of frustration, I would be kind of encouraging the drinking. I'd be buying the booze for it because, you know, it was better. I thought that she would be happily drunk than than angrily craving. <laughs> okay. If anybody would like to find out more about Ellen and Family Groups, uh, then you can phone them on 1300 252 or go online at ellenron.org.au for more information about meetings uh, or phone contacts throughout Australia. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Anthony for joining me and sharing his Allen and Family Group's recovery experience with us. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. I hope you've better listen again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from gambling addiction and we'll be joined by Michael from Gamblers Anonymous. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. To take us out, we've got a song by Rachel Fame called Middle Ground, uh, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. She's a daddy's girl, got a mama's hair. He had old school vibes on the day we met. There's too much history We would make mistakes